Hello and welcome to the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison and thank you for joining me on this Sunday, the 26th of September 2021. What a huge week it's been for news in Australia. We've had submarine deals, far-right protests and riots in Melbourne. We've had Barnaby Joyce as acting Prime Minister, while uh, Scott Morrison has been swanning off at the UN And of course, we've started to see a number of those first and even some second dose vaccination targets being reached around the country. And what great news for supporters, long-suffering supporters of Melbourne Demons fans. Yes, that's right. The Melbourne Demons won the AFL Grand Final for the first time since 1964. So a massive congratulations and well done to them and all of their long-suffering fans who've stood with them through what were many, many lean years. Commiserations to those Western Bulldogs fans who have had to see their team lose. You've had great success in recent years, and I'm sure you'll be back again. Now, let's dive into some of the serious news that's happened this week. Of course, the week on Wednesday became the number one news podcast in Australia on Friday morning. We were very, very pleased. Congratulations to all the listeners who listen, share, discuss, favorite, like, subscribe, get involved in any way. Uh, Also, of course, Ben did a cross pod with our good friends, the official Australian Union's podcast on the job with Francis Leach and Sally Rugg. You should check that out on thejobpodcast.com.au. A great discussion about uh, mandatory vaccinations in aged care and the disability sector, and also how important the education sector is, not just for developing skills and education, but also as a bulwark for our democracy against the rise of fascism and the far right, some of which we've seen play out this week. But of course, we need to talk about uh, COVID uh, just a little bit today. So at the moment, we are at officially 51% fully vaccinated in Australia. Now, that's 51% fully vaccinated of the population over the age of 16. When you use the number which is more reflective of the population, that is the entire population, we're at 40% vaccinated. Now, that is roughly half where we need to be before we have that full opening up kind of scenario. If we don't start talking about these things in proper terms, including everyone, then we're going to end up a bit like the UK and the US, where they opened up early because they used selective data, and now they have more hospitalizations, more deaths, closing of school districts, many, many, many problems, all of which we can avoid all of which we can avoid. Yes, there are currently 19,500 active cases of COVID in Australia. But for the first time, we're starting to see that trend down. The first time since this Sydney outbreak of Delta, we're starting to see that trend down. Unfortunately, yesterday, 11 people died, nine in New South Wales and two in Victoria. Now, as we move towards full vaccinations, it's important that we remember that there will be patchworks of this. And part of the patchwork really is about postcode and class. Part of what we're seeing is that older, wealthier postcodes are more vaccinated, more highly vaccinated, because they had access to vaccines first. Older people were given priority access. 
We're seeing lower socioeconomic postcodes, often younger postcodes, often more regional postcodes, not be as highly vaccinated. Now, that's not to say there's hesitancy to be vaccinated. In fact, we know that vaccine hesitancy continues to drop and decline, drop and decline, drop and decline. It's at only 9.3% of the population has hesitancy about being vaccinated. So what's increasingly important is that we start to equalize the rollout. We start to lift the amount of vaccine available, the number of places available to get vaccinated, the capacity and flexibility that's needed for people who are working shift work, who are in casualized work, who do not have access to sick leave, are not in a position of power or authority in their role where they can simply take time off to line up for hours to get vaccinated, that we increase the capacity for those people, those people who are in need of vaccine. We're seeing it in Indigenous populations. We're seeing it in rural and regional populations. COVID will rip through all of these communities. We're seeing it in the city of Hume in Melbourne, where there is a young population that is has a great deal of insecure work that was low on the list of priority rollouts, now suffering among the worst of the breakouts that we're seeing right now. And I just want to talk about what happened on Insiders today, because there was a few interesting things here that really go against the grain. So first and foremost, Insiders is supposed to be a panel show where journalists with inside information about our political system, about policy development, about what's going on in Australia, come together and discuss the issues of the week. In many ways, it's a television version of the week on Wednesday. Except what we saw today was frankly a disgrace. It The panel discussed the far-right riots in Melbourne in a way that can only be described as out-of-date, out-of-touch, and potentially dangerous. David Spears referred to the far-right fascist antagonisers and organisers of these riots as the hard-right, a term the far-right love. They love to be called the hard right. It implies that they are somehow or another hard men doing hard things. David Spears needs to be very much more careful with his language. I appreciate this might sound a bit pedantic, particularly when we talk about some of the other issues from the show. But language is important. Language sets the frame. Language creates the mythos and reinforces the narratives that we tell each other about who we are and what we stand for. And for the fascists and the far right, being called hard right feeds their narrative and adds to their propaganda. I have no doubt that David Spears did not intend to do that. I'm in no way suggesting that he did. I'm suggesting we must all be very careful when it comes to the language we use to describe fascists and the far right. I also want to point out that some of the panellists' understanding of what actually has been happening in Melbourne was so far from the mark that it ignored both what we talked about on the week on Wednesday and what the AFR itself talked about just the last couple of days. 
One of the panellists suggested that construction has among the highest rates of vaccine hesitancy. The AFR published an article just in the last couple of days saying that vaccine hesitancy is somewhere between 1% and 3% in the construction sector. Now, that compares to the University of Melbourne study, which is tracking vaccine hesitancy across the country, which says that 9.3% of all Australians are vaccine hesitant. Vaccine hesitancy in the construction industry is actually as much as two-thirds less, even more, than across the rest of the country. Insiders is supposed to be a show that gives us insight, not a show where we bring our biases and display them in front of the nation. Yes, the construction industry is a highly unionised industry, but the construction industry, the union movement more broadly, the Victorian government, the Victorian police, many local commentators, many local reporters have made it very clear that while there was a small group of construction workers, many of whom have not worked in construction since the start of the pandemic, many of whom resent having been members of the union, many of whom resent the leadership of the union, were present on Monday outside the union office. That small gathering was quickly co-opted and hijacked by the far right. They organised online, they used encrypted tools to do so, they spread lies and misinformation using foreign propaganda. This has been well reported now. This has been heavily documented. And yet still on Insiders, we were presented with the notion that somehow or another what's been occurring in Melbourne is somehow union related. It's not. It's about the far right. It's about the far right's attempt to infiltrate unions, to demolish unions, to pick apart the very foundations and institutions that make up our democracy. I would expect, and I think many other people would expect, that a show like Insiders would look at the underlying causes, would look inside what's going on, and give us a better explanation. Stan Grant gave an excellent explanation about the quad setup, about trade interactions in the world as it stands today. That was insightful. That was looking into and beyond the headlines. Unfortunately, I can't say he did the same thing when it comes to the Melbourne riots. In fact, none of the panellists particularly covered themselves in glory on that issue. And I do think it's important. I think it's important that the record be correct on this. The history shows the union movement in Victoria and around the country condemned the violence without equivocation. There was no, we condemn the violence, but those members who? There were no buts in the union condemnations. And yet there were buts in the Liberal National Government condemnation. There was a lot of, we condemn violence, but people are frustrated. We condemn violence, but it's the CFMEU's fault. Those kinds of equivocations are what allow fascists and the far right to thrive, allow them to find a niche in our public discourse, a corner where they can grow in the darkness until they're large enough to come out again. And frankly, they will come out again. We know these people do not go away. They want power and they're prepared to do whatever it takes to achieve it. So I would just encourage 
those who are on Insiders, those who are tweeting about Insiders, to think about what's really going on and not to simply parrot simple lines that one can pull out of the talking points from a, a brief handed to them five minutes before they go on air. Get behind the headlines. Get inside the story. That's what we need to do. A good example is with Barnaby Joyce. Barnaby Joyce is a fool. He is our Deputy Prime Minister, and he is unquestionably a fool. Australia will get to net zero emissions. The only question is how, when, and under what circumstances. We cannot be separate from the rest of the world. Too much of our national wealth depends on trading with countries that will move to net zero. China has announced it will not support the building of more coal-fired power stations. The EU is moving to ensure that there are carbon pricing, carbon reduction triggers in their trade agreements. The United States has made very clear that it wants Australia to do more on carbon emissions. So the question is not whether or not we will get to net zero. The question is when, how, and under what circumstance. And the reality is that if Barnaby Joyce and his feet-dragging, knuckle-dragging, delay-the-inevitable approach is allowed to be the national approach, then we will get there late at cost to us. We will get there in a way that destroys communities, destroys industries, divides Australians one from another. We know this because it has played out in other places. We know that when there is an approach that brings communities on board, that looks to invest in new industry, that looks to provide skills, training and job opportunities, that instead of saying, we will defend this until the very last and then cut you adrift and abandon you to the winds and the waves of the market, but instead we say, we will work with you to ensure that you are not alone. We will work with you to ensure that you can keep your home, keep your family fed and enjoy the prosperity that you have helped deliver this nation over many, many years. When we say that, then people come along because it's what's happened in Germany, it's what's happening in Spain and in Portugal and in many other parts of the world. We've seen when in Appalachia, they simply shut things down, communities gravitate towards, that's right, the far right. The far right loves a bit of division. The far right loves a centre-right government that is prepared to destroy communities in order to avoid change. And that's really what Barnaby Joyce is advocating. When Barnaby Joyce and the members of his caucus suggest that we should avoid at all costs getting to net zero, what he's saying is he wants the journey to net zero to cost even more. It will cost more jobs. It will cost more civil unrest. It will cost more money to delay. But Barnaby Joyce seems to think that that's okay. Seems to think that regional people prefer coal mines to wind turbines. Seems to think that regional people prefer the destruction and demolition of their landscape rather than having good grazing and pasture lands. Frankly, 
Barnaby Joyce is a fool and he cannot be allowed to have his view rule over the rest of us. It's not just that the majority of Australians support climate action. It's not just that the majority of Australians want us to get to net zero. It's that it is inevitable. We have reached a point in human history where the rest of the world is moving. And we make up, as the Liberal National Coalition so often like to say, such a very small part of the global energy consumption market. And when you make up such a small part of the market, you don't get to determine how it's going to function. So the only question for us is, how will we get there? When will we get there? And what does that journey look like? We should get there as quickly as we can in a way that protects and thrives our communities. And hopefully, hopefully we will be able to do that with some national leadership. Business is already moving. Workers are already moving. We're seeing this right across the country. So Barnaby Joyce, the fool on insiders. What can we take away from that? Well, we can take away from that that thankfully he'll never get to be prime minister. And while Scott Morrison is swanning about at the UN, pretending to be one of the big boys now that he's got his nuclear sub deal, and even though he's being ignored by the EU and by China, probably two quite quite a bit bigger boys than himself, he will eventually return, and it's likely there'll be an election within the next six months. And the people of Australia will get to decide get to decide the kind of government that determines when and how we get to net zero, determine the kind of government response to far-right riots, the kind of government response to how we equitably protect Australians as we move into the next phase of COVID, where we are effectively trying to live with COVID. And friends... Can I just say this? The response of the Australian trade union movement to the events of the last week has been amazing because we've also seen genuine strikes take place at Star Trek. We've seen genuine industrial action in warehousing and in manufacturing. We've seen protests, genuine protests in Queensland against insecure work. We've seen real union action taking place. At the same time, the union movement has had to defend itself from these far-right agitators and foreign propagandists and from some sections of the media who were more than happy to buy that line. It's remarkable that the Australian Union movement, that the workers of Australia have been able to do this all at the same time. But, you know, we defend ourselves from the far right by being united and being a collective. If you want to see positive change, if you want better wages, more secure work, more equality, and you want to avoid far right takeovers of our democratic institutions, then you need to join your union. I have, and you can join right now 
today. As you listen to this, you can go online, Australian Unions, or one word, australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W for the week on Wednesday, and you can join your union. And you can be part of a movement that is fighting for secure jobs, that is fighting for better pay, that is fighting against the far right and the attacks on our democracy. So join your union, join today. Don't forget to listen to On The Job, the the official podcast of Australian Unions. And myself uh, did did an episode with Francis Leach and Sally Rugg just this week. Thanks again to everyone who listened, downloaded, shared the episode of the week on Wednesday this week. You made us the number one news and the number one politics podcast in Australia. We're incredibly proud of that. I know that Van will join me again on Wednesday, still probably locked down in Sydney, but we will continue to do the show. You keep listening, you keep sharing, you keep being involved, we'll keep making the show. And remember, be kind to yourself and to each other.